Welcome everyone. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Meher Hora and I'm part of the Lead.Club team. Our speaker for today is Rashi Narang, who is the founder of the very well-known pet care brand, Heads Up for Tales. Rashi grew up around pets and had a strong sense of compassion for them. It all started when she realized the lack of quality products in India for her pet, Sara. In 2008, she initiated a home-based business called Heads Up for Tales to supply good quality products for all pet parents. Today, 14 years later, Heads Up for Tales operates 41 stores across nine cities across India with a strong online presence and is truly a one-stop pet shop for quality products from food to accessories and now to pet spas. I think I can say this on behalf of everyone here, Rashi, that when we think of a pet care brand, the first name that comes to all of us is Heads Up for Tales. So thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited to be doing this session and I hope you're looking forward to the next one hour as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Meher, and to all of you at Lead Club. I'm super excited. Uh, I know I know evenings are precious when we come back home. And so thank you for taking the time out to log in and join us today. Like I said, a bunch of heads up for tail fans over here in the crowd today. But before we kick start and the room gets buzzing with a lot of questions, I'm going to engage you in a very quick game. This is just so that our members get to know you a little better and uh, we know what you're thinking at all times. So are you all set? I think so. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's going to be very easy. It's nothing tough. But what you have to do is say the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you the following. So starting now. The first one. Early riser or night owl? Early riser. Work from home. Oh, gosh. Um, hybrid. <laughs> the next big, big thing in pet care. Uh, food. Natural food. One tip to becoming a successful entrepreneur. Great. All right, the last one, the weirdest thing you heard when you were raising funds for Heads Up. Oh gosh, how do I even pick that one? Um, I think, um, uh, <laughs> wow, I cannot believe people are still saying this, but thank you so much for being this candid with your responses. Um, I know I can't wait to hear more from you. So we're gonna begin very soon. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, we had shared questions most of you asked while registering for the session with Rashi already. We're gonna mix them up with a bunch of questions that are gonna come on our chat box as we go along today. So don't hold back, keep your questions coming, get that chat box buzzing for us. And um, yeah, we're gonna begin now. Rashi, I know you did something very interesting recently uh, with Nat Geo. So I'm gonna like, talk about that a little before I give you the space. So National Geographic recently joined hands with Sequoia India to spotlight the inspiring journeys of Indian women entrepreneurs with its brand new digital series called The She Builds. By spotlighting these role models, the series actually seeks to put entrepreneurship on the agenda for a wider group of women and girls. Um, Rashi, you happen to be one of the entrepreneurs they actually spotlighted for the series. And I'm going to do, show everyone a quick trailer of your episode. And Denise is going to drop in the video link for those of you who are interested and want to watch this later. So spare us a minute and I'm going to share the trailer very soon. I don't want her to see an ideal story because it's not true. So I don't want her to see that my mother runs this company, she's growing it she's the boss that's not what i want her to take away i want her to know that there are good days and bad days uh, you have to get comfortable just being uncomfortable she's seen me on my very stressful days 
days when I'm just sad. I want her to know that there is a messy middle and I want her to embrace that. All right. Uh, very inspiring video and I love how candid you are with your daughter in terms of, you know, the journey that you've been in. And on that note, I'm going to leave the space for you to actually talk about how this journey has been for you, you know, building up from a, a brand that was just to be built at home to scaling up to the space that you are at. I know you mentioned you want to keep it very heartfelt, very candid, um, a couple of lessons that you actually learned on the way. So I'm sure our members can't wait to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Mehit. Um, uh, hi, everybody. And thank you again uh, for all of you who've logged in now. Um, like Meher said, I was chatting with her about really what um, I want to share in this session. And I penned down a couple of lessons that um, I've learned, some the very hard way. And they are, they are a mix of sort of work and life. But I do believe that uh, when we are sort of passionate entrepreneurs or um, uh, you know, ambitious professionals uh, trying to grow in whatever space we are at. It, it, you really can't set those boundaries of this is work and this is life. It really is uh, together, but they are mostly business focused. So I'll dive straight into the start and take you through where we are now and a couple of things that I learned on the way. Um, I, uh, like Meher mentioned, I started Heads Up Potatoes back in 2008 when um, I, I got a little tiny puppy into my life named Sarah and I couldn't find anything of quality for her and I just wanted her to have um, the best life that I could give her. So I started going to pet stores and there was just stuff that did not uh, fit the bill. It was just plasticky or full of chemicals or shampoos that were just um not natural etc and i think that's when i had that little spark uh, to start something when i realized that other pet parents like myself may want uh, you know better quality products for their pets um, and i actually started out with a very simple bed that's what i began with because i didn't have the know-how of building treats or toys and you know uh, i didn't have access to factories or um uh, labs, etc., who would work with me. And so I just started with that simple bed um, and then I built it for other people. But it was really satisfying to watch it to come together and very fulfilling to see that it gave Sarah that space of her own and um, uh, where she could just go and recharge. And I think that's the first lesson that I wanted to share with you all that you don't actually need an out-of-the-world product to start a successful company. Um, I think we need, sometimes we oversolve for like, oh my God, what is it that we could build that has never been built before? Or how do I pick an idea to begin with? I think that we all just need to look at what makes us human. And what are the things that you value in your everyday life? Um, you know, what could fulfill your needs? And uh, really from that one single bed that I made for Sarah, we've now designed hundreds of India First products that make a daily impact in the lives of so many families across the country. And of course, the idea is just the beginning, like many of you know, and then begins the real work of making a tangible impact. And so once I built that larger collection um, of about 15, 20 products, I was very excited to go to these pet stores where I couldn't find anything and share it with them. But um, I went to over 200 and uh, all of them shut their door on me and they said, this is never going to work. What is this? Who are you? Why are you here? Who sent you here? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I was shown the door multiple times. Uh, and then I remember just feeling 
so awfully rejected um, and extremely disappointed because I was I was so excited while building this out and I could really feel it in my gut that you know this is something that's special. Uh, but anyway, um, it so happened uh, that because I had all this inventory and my heart still said you know keep keep trying. I started taking part in a couple of pop-up events like you know Diwali and Christmas exhibitions. And there my customers told me a completely different story. You know, they were, they were so excited and they were so curious and they had so many questions. And I think that that's what, um, that was really my second but biggest lesson in entrepreneurship, which is stay close to your customers. Uh, because if I had just heard all of those people who said no, uh, and not gone directly to the customer who was going to, you know, make this purchase decision, I probably would have lost it all in translation. Um, and I think that this has really been, uh, you know, the, at the core of what we do at Heads Up for Deal. So really partnering with our customers, um, talking to them about what are the problem areas, uh, what, are, what is working for them, what's not working for them, and not in terms of product at all, but really conversation around their relationships, um, and that helped us without even knowing at that time, but just practice design center, design thinking. Uh, and for example, somebody talked about uh, an old dog who was struggling to get up from her bed. And so we made out a range of senior dog products, including orthopedic bed. And somebody said, my Cocker Spaniel's ears are so long that when she's eating her food, they all get dirty. So we thought about, okay, how do we solve that problem? And, you know, we made a bowl, which was a little bit um, smaller on the top so the ears would be out and then it was deeper and wider at the base so so many products were innovated just because of staying close to our customers and really and, and we still continue to do that um, the third lesson I wanted to share was um, what really feels painful in the moment could be perfect in hindsight so you know that rejection it's still, I could still feel that pain sometimes when I go back. It was, you know, it was just new starting out and I had this excess sheet and just, you know, just writing, <laughs> sort of uh, just canceling some of them out on a list or an excess sheet to say no, 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 no. I get so many names. But it was because of that rejection that we realized that we have to create our own front end. You know, once the, I had some validation, I had tried this, a pop-up format. I was getting some results, and uh, so we started with a web. We started we we started a website, and I remember um, my first website was designed by a class ten student. I paid him five thousand rupees for it, and even then I I negotiated <laughs> because it seemed like so much, and even like one order a week um, from someone in the country who had found me was absolutely thrilling. Uh, and then we got a break when um, one of the malls in Delhi took a chance on us and, and gave us a kiosk for two days because the rent was too high. Uh, and we, we just, we, we joke now that we've still been there. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey. And that I think really helped us to get the brand in front of hundreds of thousands of customers uh, every single day um, and, and learn and, you know, go deeper into problem solving and product development. So I want to say, and, and today I wanted to also share that we, we now in the last couple of days from when I sent you the, the um, information, we're now at 50 plus stores and it's been really quite a journey. Um, but I wanted to say that getting to, you know, getting to success takes so many failures. 
uh, so so many and i always see people sort of bathe, see them as this is a failure and this is success but it's actually really part of it and it all sums up and adds up to that and so my lesson for is fail fast and when i when i say that i mean that uh, when you work in a big company there are you, and you want to do even the slightest little bit of change you have to go through layers of approvals and plans and uh, you know somebody said yes but the other person has said no and it's like there's so much bureaucracy and etc etc but the biggest advantage that smaller companies or 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 startups have is you know the ability to to fail fast you try something it doesn't work you move on so we've tried that with so many things we tried a subscription model it didn't work at all but we didn't like you know make it into a big deal and pump in a lot of money to begin you try it at like really small scale but i think just get going and then get better if it works so i hope that um you know sometimes i think we the reason i bring this up is because i, I see and i and i hold myself uh guilty as well that sometimes when we want to launch something we try to like perfect it to the last um dot you know and sometimes it's okay to begin and then to keep making it better as you as you're going in that journey when you're not sure or you're testing that product market fit um so besides uh, plenty of moments that feel like failure and especially the whole failing fast bit i think what you need to be prepared for is my lesson 5 which is that entrepreneurship is a lonely difficult messy journey and that's what i just mentioned um, in that that's what also came up in the trailer when i was talking about what i keep telling my daughter and just a year after i started out uh, my husband got posted overseas so of course i went along and then for the next 7 years i was um trying to run this remotely with you know no no money and no expertise uh, in house and sort of uh, um very very small team and i was trying to build not just the product but i was trying to build the front end and the back end and the supply chain and even the customer because there was such little awareness on what really um pets need and there was a lot of pet ownership but not enough pet parenting where people were genuinely thinking about deeply thinking about what they could do uh, for their pets and so i think that you know the journey has been really tough and i had a I had a child at that time i was trying to commute uh, felt you know just it all felt like it was so much and um, the reason i bring this up is again you know there's um, especially as as women there's so many balancing roles that we need to uh play together but I, i think you know some of us give up because it's too much and and i felt like many times as well but i believe that um you know we all need to build more resilience and that's what my journey through at me and there's going to be heaps at every turn for all of us uh so you know and then finally when i couldn't cope with that that whole piece and i and i just wanted to come back and get this going because for so many years i had to temper down my ambition and you know we say okay i'm going to take it really slow and yes i wanted to make it so big but i have to go slow you know it's just not the right time but there when it was i didn't move back and then and then uh, we decided to raise funds and that was the, that's where my next lesson 6 comes in which is about choosing the right partners at the right time um and so i know some of you may be on the funding journey or you may be at a point when you're thinking about funding and it's a very exciting space to definitely be at 
but I wanted to share three quick questions with you or three tips with you when you're looking at an investor. Um, the first is a who, right? So who are you wanting to partner with? Do your values align? Um, is this person going to be there when things go bad? Because things will go bad. And how will they react at that time? Uh, the second is about when. So we had a lot of inbound interest, even when I was in Singapore and uh, even when Samara was little, but I knew that, you know, committing at that time was just going to be a huge mistake. And sometimes you feel, gosh, what if this opportunity doesn't come again? But, you know, an investment like this and having people come on board that you're, uh, you know, that you promise something big to, um, I think it needs commitment at a whole different level. So you really need to be ready for it and make sure that you're at that point where you're really ready to commit. So that, that timing is super, super important. And the third piece is the why, which for me is uh, really, really big. And uh, I covered it again uh, in one of my other lessons, but I do believe that every, uh, well, I do believe that lots of people, they start with the what and they go on to the how, which is great and it gets you a fairly long way. But that last mile that you have to walk when life throws many, many challenges to you, you have to know the why really well because um, it makes you so much more confident. It shows your investors that you know exactly what you want to do with this money, why you want it. Obviously, it's to grow our business, but how are you going to really use it? And um, I think it, it just builds so much more confidence and clarity. So those are the three little little pieces on, on, um, on funding. I also do want to say that um, I do highly believe in bootstrapping and we did that for eight years. Um, you know, it helps you to really focus on prototyping, failing fast, launching innovative products in, in the market, being close to your customers and doing all the things that you, you think that money will solve all the problems, but it actually doesn't. It's only, you know, it's just one piece in that whole puzzle. Uh, so uh, if you're in the bootstrapping stage or thinking about, uh, funding versus bootstrapping. I hope some of these inputs can help you in, in making uh, a better decision. Um, moving on, you know, how long do we have, Meher? I have just a little bit, a couple more lessons left. We're all yours, don't worry. <laughs> uh, moving on, I wanted to share the piece about people and culture and hiring because obviously, you know, one is having the vision and then the other is you know, bringing people who believe in that vision together to really help you see it through. And that, if you talk to anyone, any company, one of the biggest problems is people. You know, how do you build that team? And honestly, I still don't have all the answers. I've made a million mistakes. <laughs> and I think that, but I, I think that I've taken a lot of time to reflect on those to say, okay, what is it that works for me? And um, I do believe that um, you know, it really is about aligning on value systems. I do believe that somebody's attitude is really hard to change. And it's, um, you know, it's really about attitude over aptitude, because if you are a brilliant jerk, I don't really want you on my team. And if you're just unkind, then, you know, I, I don't want people like that. So really, what is the kind of people that you want to work with? Um, because skills really can be learned. And, and so I'm trying to build a team where, you know, there's just lots of wonderful, empathetic human beings who really want to make a difference. And people who are just passionate about what they do, take it personally and really 
treat the company as their own and and you know trying to inculcate in all of the leaders that their only role is to build more leaders is to help more people grow and really carve out those paths for them um i think um, it has been quite a roller coaster of a ride and i sometimes wonder you know why do we why do we stay on this journey i mean nobody's holding us to it and um i think that um what i mentioned um, in one of your quick answers meher was about grit um and i do believe that uh you know to to be successful in the long run you do need grit and you know grit for me uh, grit is really what it means is a, is a combination of passion and perseverance and purpose because i don't believe passion is just enough that people are passionate about so many things but it's easy to give up on passion when things get hard um and i think that you need to persevere i've persevered now for 14 years and i still know that it's a very long journey and um and, and i think that you need to focus on purpose as well like what is it that's driving you what is it that's you know making you stay on that train when you have a choice to to get off and and my last lesson is really around this and i've combined i've, I've written it as lesson 9 and 10 <laughs> you know because i wanted to stress the importance of it that you have to stand for and work towards something that's bigger than you that drives you um you know i i think that um there really is i think if you if you are able to do that you'll find so much more strength and there really is no greater joy than uh, making such a making a positive impact on somebody's life and you know i think that we need to take on entrepreneurship not just as a business but also as a responsibility towards solving a problem that you care about and you know and i think that when you do that then you're less afraid fear just goes away doors open and you just feel that satisfaction that you're bringing joy to the world in 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 small ways or big ways but in a way that only you can and and from the outside it may seem like um for you know that businesses are about profits and losses and income statements and um you know shareholding and success in terms of revenue or the other regular metrics um but i think that if you have purpose alongside it can go so much you know so much longer and further and i've met customers at our stores now over the last 14 years when they've just got a puppy or kitten and i've seen them through that entire journey um and i know i've seen this a hundred times and thousands of times now with the number of people i've interacted with that every time people open their homes and their hearts to an animal they become better people they become more kind they become more compassionate they become more empathetic and i truly believe that the world can get better by us just opening our hearts and our homes to animals and so um i hope that through this vision i'm able to inspire change in the company and beyond and you know just on the hard days and and most days are hard i you know i try to remember at the end of the day that okay the work that i do um it's it's humbling and it's incredible and it drives me to do so much better so i hope that all of you with wherever you are in your journeys um, you know professional entrepreneurial thinking about work taking a break 
being a mom, being a family member, being a caregiver, wherever you are, I hope that you can find purpose in some ways because I think that's really what drives um, everything. And I just want to end by saying that, uh, you know, these are just few lessons from my life. We all have our own. Um, and um, lots of people that I talk to, they, they compare so much to that person's story or this person's story. But I believe that we should all follow our own hearts and just believe that we're so much more capable than what meets the eye. And, um, and I, I wanted to end with a quote from Rumi, which says, don't be satisfied with stories on how things have gone for others. Unfold your own myth. Um, and there's actually another quote that I wanted to share with you before I leave. Uh, I can't remember it exactly, but it really helped me through that, through this journey of when I, especially when I was in those seven years of just not knowing what I could do, what speed I could do it at. It's by Martin Luther King Jr. And um, it goes something like, um, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever it is, you know, keep moving forward. So I hope that inspires you at the tiniest bit that it's okay if you're having to slow down and or it's okay if you're on that amazing journey, but wherever you're at, you know, keep going. And I hope that you find purpose and joy in the work that you do. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Rashi. I think um, a lot of smiles, smiling, smiles on the face, uh, on everyone's faces, I think just resonates with everything that you said and so inspiring. And I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been wonderful hearing your 10 lessons. It's been so real and candid. Um, I'm actually now going to get into the question answer bit. Uh, a lot of members had a lot of questions when we were taking registrations for the sessions. A lot of chat box questions coming in. But one main thing that a lot of members want to know is when we're talking about a pet care brand, it necessarily is a niche business, so to say, right? Um, you were one of the first ones in the country to actually get onto this bandwagon of a pet care brand. We see a lot more coming in right now. But is there something called like the right niche? You were one of the first people to recognize this market, so to say. And how do you go about defining this for your own business? And how do you recommend other people do if they're getting into a niche business, so to say? I think um, for us, I mean, at least for me, the industry itself was the was just niche. It was just so small, very fragmented. It just didn't exist. Um, but I believe that today, a niche is actually a strength. Like it helps you... Um, it helps that, you know, for example, I'm just thinking of something basic, like I'm thinking of like um, maybe FMCG or groom, I mean, like just thinking of um, wellness, etc. If you're able to find, I mean, those categories are so big and they're so broad that I believe that a niche really helps you stand out and it helps people connect with you much quickly, much more faster. It helps you get discovered much faster. You're solving a real problem instead of just, you know, solving many, many problems, which may sometimes mean that you're solving, it's too wide. So I do believe that if you can find your niche and you just test it out, like I mentioned, you know, just talk to customers, do fail fast testing, go, you know, set up a couple of stores at, at some pop-ups, direct, interact directly with customers, see what happens. And, and is it feeling like, hey, this could be something? Got it. I think a lot of questions actually were on this bit as well, that how do you, um, as a niche business that's trying to start up, how do you stay close to your customer and hear your customer to curate your product in a way 
that they would appreciate it and you can build a market for it. So I think you've touched upon it a little bit. But if you have more thoughts on this, we'd love to hear that as well. Um, really, I think that um, design thinking is so powerful and I think that we don't use it enough. And, um, you know, I did, a, I did a design thinking course uh, at Stanford a couple of years ago. And uh, it was just phenomenal. Like they just, they, you know, we were in little groups and we before the course finished, we had to do an assignment and build an app. And um, there was no app, there was no tech. But what we had to do was speak to lots of customers, do a lot of sort of brainstorming, thinking. We actually had to do um, um, drawings of the different screens, you know, and then we finally stapled it out. We had to stand on the road, ask people to like use this paper app, you know, keep refining our drawings to say, okay, somebody said, hey, but what do I do with this? There's no option for X or Y. And the kind of input that we got in two days, uh, the, the kind of prototypes that we made versus saying, okay, here's an agency, they're going to take three months to build you a prototype. Then there are like three months more of changes. In two days, we had an amazingly well-tested app that then was supposed to go for development. So that's what I mean by, you know, design thinking and really like um, testing out stuff uh, and not thinking about like, how do I, you know, how do I make this full app, but actually doing, you know, a paper version. Now imagine if you could translate that into so many different products or conversations with customers instead of saying, okay, I'm going to do a survey and I don't have thousand responses. Right, so that is that's important too. But can you combine it with just real life conversations? No, I think a great point, and I hope that answers your question, Akanksha. I see that you had something related to this as well. Um, Kirtana actually has a very interesting question, and I, I love the excitement with the inverted quotes that she's asked the question. Kirtana, would you like to unmute yourself and ask? Yeah, uh, when Rasha was talking about her journey, like uh, I know she mentioned, you know, uh, when you went to the mall and. You said like one customer coming and asking you about the product and everything. So I know that there were uh, moments of hints that, okay, yeah, I mean, this is good. Uh, you know, I have the confidence to move forward and move forward and move forward. But when was it like, you know, you really saw it like, oh my God, this is a hit. This is really happening. I can see, you know, uh, heads up for tails. Like I see my vision come true. So what was that point and how did it feel? Um, thank you. Thank you for asking that. I think um, for me, the, the tunnel was really long. I could not see the light. Uh, I could feel the light at the end of it, but I couldn't see it. And it was just so slow for so long. And I think that in 2018, we took some really big risks and we opened a store in Khan Market in Delhi, which is one of the most prime real estates. We opened one in a very popular mall in Gurgaon. We opened a massive store in Bangalore, you know, which is an experience center. And I think that something happened after that. Um, but walking in that dark tunnel and just being like, oh my God, I'm still at 10 orders a day. Why is it only 12 now? When is it going to go from 10 to 100? It took forever. So <laughs> uh, yes, just, I'm just being honest with you. It wasn't like it just went from zero to 100. It just didn't. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's the feeling that I got, you know, from you. And so, like, it, it's it's a real. I, I'm I'm so glad that you're being so candid because it really helps us in a very real sense. Because you know, it's not like, hey, yeah, I did the struggle. It, it's not like a biopic. You mean it? Uh, it's a very true 
picture that you're actually giving us, which is great. And, uh, you know, and you had a break and, you know, you did do it slowly. And, you know, like you said, so it's very interesting. So thank you so much for being so candid, Rashid. It's very appreciated. I mean, listen, honestly, I still question myself because every day I see these uh, media articles and news articles, which is like, you know, went from in three years from X to Y and unicorn. And I'm like, <laughs> how is this happening? <laughs> you know, so I question it too. But I think that, you know, the scale that we've reached where we're shipping our almost thousand orders every day, you know, doing, uh, you know, a couple of hundred thousand customers. I, think, I just want to tell you it takes time and everybody's journey is different so yes <laughs> hang in there i told you rashi everybody wants to hear the candace story she was very apprehensive of being so real but like i said members appreciate the realness of the candidates to uh, the story for sure um another question i wanted to ask rashi is and i see a lot of founders actually struggling with this um when you're starting up in and i'm keep it specific to a niche space again but you know you have these this burst of ideas you want to be doing everything you want to be here you want to be everywhere and have a burst of ideas you kind of just like do everything at one point but how do you streamline a focus um and decide okay this is what is going to be the first step and this is what you're going to keep at the back uh at the back seat at some point how do you streamline yourself in this process um again the very honest answer to that is that i actually tried everything that i felt like and um, it was a process of elimination uh, because um, otherwise you're just wondering that, hey, I did this, but what about that? Okay, can I, I mean, obviously I had to choose given that I had such um, limited resources, but for example, just for example, if it was uh, pop-ups, I was trying to take part in every pop-up that I could, you know, in the first couple of uh, years just to see, okay, you know, is there, is what is selling? Is this new product going to work? Is it not? And then I realized, okay, these ones do not work. Or for example, if somebody said, okay, here's a, a chance to sponsor something versus spending it on performance marketing versus putting it into brand versus putting it into XYZ. I think obviously some things just feel intuitively right to you from where you're looking from your lens and some, and some just don't, but you still do have to try. And again, fail fast, you know, and eliminate. But if I were to, really choose a couple of things it would be brand like really what is helping me build the brand and um, all the things that that go into it no i think uh, very 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 fair advice for all founders who are struggling with the same problem as well um Ridvika has a very interesting question i think a lot of questions around the funding bit and how your series a came in after a very long journey as well um Ridvika, would you like to unmute and ask a question Hi, thanks, Rashi. Sorry, I can't come on um, on video. I'm just traveling with a lot of chaos behind. Um, my question was like, not every uh, business uh, can be uh, considered for a VC-backed uh, funding, right? Like, what was that inflection point in your journey when you realized yourself that uh, you know you want to take it to that scale and uh, and and gain the confidence of VCs? Uh, thank you. Um, I think uh, I've always dreamt really big about this and. Um, when I came back in 2016, 15 end, I realized that, okay, we worked on a foundation for a while and I think that we're ready to take it to the next level, but we're still not confident of bringing the VC community in. And so what we started with was uh, h and family offices, 
that's much more patient capital so the kind of capital that you're looking for is important and with them it's people who are deep believers and you know they're okay to uh, wait it out for a longer time uh, so we went down that route and then three years or four years after even going down five years after going down that route when we felt like okay we really now know what to do and i know exactly how to scale i have tested all of this out i know what my store format should be what my product mix should be what's fitting what's not what my profit margins are and should be for a sustainable business and i had figured out everything over at that moment <laughs> at least key things you can never really figure anything out i think that's when we had the confidence that okay now we're okay to bring in uh vc capital and and uh, you know again you know we spoke with many people and i want to go back into who feels right you know and even the two that we have on board well invest in sequoia it's been amazing to partner with with them and uh, you know again there's a lot of at least the partners that we have on board on our board you know they they we really align on value systems we have the same goals and uh, so i think um timing and uh really just the confidence is really the answer to your question uh rashid sorry since we're talking about funding actually i just want to put touch base on this as well you know especially for companies that are bootstrapped or have access to very limited funds um as an entrepreneur what would be the first thing you would recommend they spend their money on you know because there's a lot of confusion in whether do you go outright with sales do you got to focus on your brand do you focus on you know building more products but discovery costs also for like especially niche businesses are very high so how do you use your funds judiciously and you know very wisely in these aspects uh for me it was the um, brand for sure uh and it's also people you know like um the people make a lot of that happen and uh they you know putting that money into people that can help you get to the next level uh and yes of course it has to be sales and all of those things but uh i think that if you build your brand right it can just stand out so much that the sales will come you know can you really define your values so that your customer can connect with you and they can pick you over somebody else you know there's 20 people doing the same thing why will a customer pick you you know i urge you to spend all your time on that question and go down to the why and then what is how are you communicating that so that the customer who is connecting with you is going to pick you because of your brand i think fair point uh, building that brand does become important um saloni has a very interesting question on solving a problem and how do you find your way through it saloni you want to unmute and ask thanks meher for just like pick up the question uh hi rashi uh, so just like uh, quickly wanted to understand i also work in a d2c startup and we are solving a huge problem and i talk to a lot of founders and all of them talk about solving a problem a big problem actually not also problem a big problem so i want to understand what if you have an idea and it's not solving a big big problem it's not saving the world but is it okay to go for it of course it is i i think it totally is because you have to see that how would it um for example okay steve jobs i mean he start Right? We didn't even know that we needed all of those products that we that he built out. You know, we didn't know that we needed hundreds of apps and 
the phones the way that they are so i think it's about i mean it has to be able to need uh, the unfulfilled need which may not be a problem right or it has to solve a problem or connect to someone at some level but maybe it's an unfulfilled need and not a problem statement that you're trying to solve for i hope that helps yeah that does that that just brings a lot more clarity i'll say thanks thanks uh, rashi for that but i also want to now go back to when you were talking about your journey and how you started with the first kiosk and i know that that was one of the first places i visited i remember getting a small uh, name tag for my dog from there but uh, i want to ask you how did you kind of what are the metrics you took for an offline uh, retail store to market as a successful retail store and then you know go on to build from there in terms of expanding your uh, let's say locations expanding your uh, geographies across them um maybe i think initially at that time it was revenue you know how much are we doing in a day does it have scope okay we're doing you know we the first was like a little cart it wasn't even a kiosk tiny little cart and i remember on like on a weekend we do 25000 a day and that was like wow you know like this is super exciting i can see that there is some scope i mean of course it's tiny right but um revenue was a metric when you're trying to put out a brand new product which you have to build awareness around and educate people around but i think that as we grew in that journey it became about and as we built out the offline piece it became about same store sales growth right so if i have a store then how much can i grow this store year on year or does it just become stagnant and so picking locations around that etc on the website it became about uh, not just revenue but how many people did i have coming in what was the conversions of how many new customers did i have what were the kind of repeats both online and offline uh what was the kind of you know margins that we had because we also opened up the platform to other pet brands uh again you know again through feedback that their customers were like we, we don't want to go come to you for this and then go somewhere else for for that so we opened it up and you know what is that what is that look like what so there was so there are so many metrics but um and i think at every point in the journey it's been some something has been more important than others for sure i think i agree with you on that bit um we have two questions something about you being remotely located uh, overseas for example and different aspects but i'll take them together for you um chinmay asked that since you were overseas how were you overlooking the manufacturing of products especially when that was a time when you know you were experimenting and coming up with a bunch of new products and the second bit also is um in terms of you know just being in a in a space where you are overseas you uh, your locations are decentralized what drives the culture culture internally and a shared vision within the team as well so we, it's a two part question but we'd love to hear your answer on this so the first part is um it was definitely challenging and what i'd do is that i'd come to india for about 4 5 weeks spend all my time you know between being in the front end of the stores and then being at, at you know small tailor units that were making my stuff and sort of planning the pipeline for the next time that i could make it um so that's how i was trying to you know just manage that that whole piece and the second is about um, the vision etc at that time the team was really small um and i used to use skype 
every now and then to to call in and have a chat but it just it didn't come naturally you know now this session it just feels so natural we're also used to zoom and all of us you know in these little windows and talking about everything and we're learning hundreds of new things you know online but that time it was such an alien concept but luckily the team wasn't so large and it was it was small and i just i'd spend a lot of time just having phone conversations um trying to you know bring it together and uh, do the best that i could but i can't say it was perfect from any angle i can imagine and uh, i hope that answers your questions ashwarya and chinmay um i have one question that's been coming up a lot and i feel like if i don't take this up uh, members are going to bombard you with this question separately but how did you come up with the name heads up for tales oh my gosh <laughs> you know it's not even such an exciting story because i wanted a dot com name and i couldn't find a dot com name with woof tales dogs cats paws like nothing because these industries are so big overseas that i just couldn't find anything so the first exhibition that we took part in i didn't have a name like i had a blank <laughs> blank board on my stall because i had all these random names which i was trying to register and then somebody said what about heads and tails and then you know then someone said heads up and tails and then i said okay heads up for tails and then it just stuck but um i did not know that such a long name is going to be such a big problem on a small product or seo is such a problem and who's going to type this and we have so many mistypes uh, for our website and gosh like it's all in the name <laughs> so yeah now we're thinking should we just officially make it huffed should we keep it heads up or tails but yes so yeah i think the name matters i had no idea at that time yeah, definitely like i said a lot of questions are in and i think like initially also i said this you know that the moment you think of a pet care brand the first thing you come up with is heads up for tails and now i think every second market you go to you kind of see um a heads up for tails store and just kind of excites you to kind of see this stuff there and um yeah before we end the session i think we have time for about two to three more questions um somebody had a question on you know again back to the funding thing and i know we've spoken about this previously as well but when you're in a niche business like yours how do you bring the confidence to your funders that these are the speculated numbers and you know how do you kind of instill in them that this is the way you perceive things to be going and give them that confidence there um i've been uh, chatting with um our investors about some of these pieces and and many other investors as well um talking to them about women founders not getting funding enough talking to them about niche businesses and actually you know what they say is that not enough people are coming forward um when it comes to female founders and they are actually waiting to find them uh so that's one which i thought i would share uh, and the second is i think they are looking for niche businesses because uh the chances of really big wide businesses succeeding is tough because the competition is so ruthless and people are looking at these really uh, interesting niches that they believe are you know going to grow so um i know that it may seem contrary to what you may hear on big platforms etc but really i mean uh, there is definitely a market and there is people looking to put money behind it so i would just urge you to go out there and try to find the person who believes in it and the way to also do that is that um you have to look at the segments that different uh, you know vc firms or 
private equity or whoever you would go into it are doing across the world. So a lot of these work across the world. And so, you know, if, they, if you think that they've invested in a couple of companies in China or New Zealand, or Australia in a particular space, they are looking to find more options in India in those particular spaces because they feel like they've got that intelligence, that expertise on that particular category. And so a little bit of research around that can help you also narrow it down. And, you know, because there are so many people now who are actually waiting to put their money. And it really is a market. Uh, this is really one of the best times for funding and entrepreneurship. No, absolutely. So uh, clearly a call out for all our founders over here looking for funding. People are looking for women founders to invest in as well. Um, Rashi, I wanted to ask you this question before as well, you know, um, when you're accelerating a business and scaling it up to the level that you were, I'm sure you would have used your network to kind of build up the right kind of strategies to reach out to the right people. But how did you actually leverage and build that network as well? Uh, you had your existing network, but you also ended up growing it to a larger extent. So how did you use that to leverage your business scaling up as well? Um, by network, do you mean sort of uh, professional, personal network? Both actually, both. We'd love, we'd love to hear both. Okay, so I am a, a very shy, introverted person. <laughs> okay, and even places like this make me super nervous. I must have told my hair like 20 times. I'm so nervous. What am I going to say? Oh my gosh, I hope I can add some value. <laughs> so um, I, uh, for me, I think it's about uh, going deep with few relationships. And, um, you know, if you put me in the middle of hundreds of people, I will just be like, oh my gosh, like I don't know what to do. But... I think that, you know, spaces like this, which feel so safe and where all of us are getting connected over um, things that matter to us in a way that we can help each other. I think it's so lovely and so powerful. Uh, so for me, just leveraging my network has been about calling other founder friends or calling, you know, just sitting down with colleagues, even past colleagues or current colleagues and um Sometimes just reaching out to friends in general and, you know, just sharing uh, whether it's a personal or a professional issue or somebody who I believe has expertise. I think it, it is really so powerful because it makes you feel like you're not alone. Um, and uh, some of these journeys can be lonely. And so I think that there is um, just sort of magic in networks if leveraged correctly. Very, very, very well said to on that bit. Um, we have a... I really like this question, Pragya, that you've asked, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to unmute yourself and ask this question going ahead because you've spoken a lot on the business aspect of it, but internally what actually happens is something uh, I think that Pragya's question is going to also allow you to speak about. Hi, Rashi. Really enjoying this discussion. Thank you being so, for being so vulnerable. Um, I run a bootstrap D2C brand myself, uh, and one of the things I struggle with is you know, while you're bootstrapped, where, what are the hires that you put, uh, you know, the money in, the little money that you have? So do you have any, like any learnings from your journey when you were bootstrapped or early parts of your journey, some hires that changed your life as a founder and provided a lot more leverage to your time? Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, I remember just not being able to hire for the longest time. And uh, even when I did, it was just very, very, um, it was just people with sort of generalist skills who could just lend a hand. But um, I think that what I learned was that it's what you believe you're not um, 
either good at in terms of subject matter or the just are painful pieces <laughs> that you don't want to do that's where you should hire for so for me it was accounting and compliance i mean it just used to drive me crazy and i i mean i'm a creative person and even though i've got a commerce background in school and i've done accounts in college but i wanted to spend my time on the brand on the design on the product and i had like all these hundreds of account things that were always happening so i think for me it was okay let me get somebody who loves this and who can't get enough of numbers to run this piece where i can do what i'm best at so i think if you think about it like that what is it that you just want to take away from your plate so that you can bring your best strength to the table hire those people thank you so much really helpful all right before we end the session we have um, two questions that have come one from ruhi ruhi i'll take your question first is um what are your tips to solo founders from your initial days of journey any lasting thoughts you'd like to share with our members gosh <laughs> like sort of <laughs> coming to my mind but i come um, i think i'll go back to what i said that find your why because it, it if you really want to stay walk this journey you have to have a why otherwise with the what and how at some point there will be obstacles that you will just be to tackle so yes find that very well and go deep into it and deeper into it and really deep into it and you will see that um when the challenges are thrown at you and they will be every single day you will just be able to walk longer and stronger and you will be less fearful and you won't worry about failing and um it just gets easier in some little ways <laughs> so yeah little bit of reassurance there for everyone uh, asking this question as well um we're going to end the session with radhika's question at the end and that's um do you have a community where your customers hang out online or offline is there something that you're building up yes, it's something that we really do want to build because uh we have you know communities in the sense that uh we've got customers who've been there for so long we know them by name we know their dog's names and we know everything about them and we've had lots of events where people come together but i think we want to create it into something so much more bigger and more meaningful where customers can also sort of help each other at scale and so we're trying to build that out into the new app that we're working on and i hope that it turns out just the way that we imagine it to Meher uh thank you for taking that question and Rashi uh the reason to also ask you that question was because in my last uh, code base course on dating that I run as a matchmaker I had somebody who joined with his dog and uh, she has an instagram handle like the dog has an instagram handle and she would join every single time in the dating course and I'm like oh my god how are you finding trouble connecting with girls because you know you have such a cute dog and after that he started giving out the dog's ig handle to people when he meets wow <laughs> yes dogs on ig are getting hugely popular it's just fascinating but yes i love that thank you for sharing 
This also brings us to the end of our session today, uh, Rashi. I think it's been a, such a great, vulnerable, candid session, like somebody said as well. We've had so many insights to take back, a lot to think upon. Whether you're a founder, whether you're in your professional journey, I think the ten step, the ten lessons we share, shared initially were so inspiring and so heartfelt. I think we're definitely going to go back and ponder on this. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing from you, and uh, we hope to see you soon at, with our Leap members. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening and for being here today. It means a lot, and I hope this has added a tiny bit of value. And I hope you can take something away. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again, Rashi. And uh, members, you were all as amazing as ever. I loved hosting this session with all of you. It's been great, and I'm going to see you at our very next uh, Leap Dot Club experience. So till then, have a great weekend. Have a great week ahead, and see you all very soon. Thank you again.